Journey to distant realms. Explore the furthest reaches of the universe. Survive deadly dangers. Experience matters of the heart and more in a new actual play podcast. Join me, Audrey. That's right, just me, as I play tabletop games designed for one player. From journaling games to tarot games to even games that take me outside, I'm bringing you along for the ride. Join me for every episode of Alone at the Table. Episode of Unwise Girls. I'm your host, Jacqueline. And I'm your other host, Jane. And we're your favorite podcast, all about the books of Rick Riordan. Today, we're continuing, we're finishing The House <laughs> of Hades. How are you doing today, Jane? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I, I met up with a friend from out of town, uh, hung out, did normal things, forced her to watch the entire first season of The Witch from Mercury. <laughs> That's so normal. Like, this is. <laughs> Girls will do this to friends. Girls will. The thing is, like, if you if if you want to get a girl into Gundam, G Witch is now like the ultimate catnip because it's got the Yuri to get them in the door. Yeah, yeah, it really is. How are you today, Jacqueline? Uh, I'm good. Today is the first day of the Moon Carnival, the, the three day stream, uh, where Moonshot will be raising money for charity. Uh, if you want to catch me, you can find me at 7 p.m. doing Flight Simulator Cash Cab. Uh, on on the tw- uh, Saturday 27th, you can find me at 7 p.m. doing uh, Smash slash Mugen Poker, uh, a Secret Among Us stream uh, at 9 p.m. And at 11 p.m., we're going to be doing a special uh, Dead Teen House Party tabletop role-playing game. Uh, and then the next day, I will be on at 4 p.m. for uh, a little game of Smack Talk Showdown as well as uh, part two of the Secret Among Us stream. That sounds really cool. If you want to see me on the Moon Carnival stream, uh, eat shit, I didn't sign up for anything. You can find Jane in the Twitch chat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll be cheering Jacqueline on. We should also say uh, we were recently on another podcast. We were. We uh, guested on uh, Of the Eldest Gods. We talked about uh, the chapter where Percy gets back from getting fucking girlfriended chapter 13 a battle of the labyrinth that one it was very fun it's very cool uh and you should go listen to it it was very fun very relevant to like the leo blues that we're getting at the minute with his like separation from calypso it was kind of cool to like row back and see how that went for a different character the first time yeah definitely now speaking of leo and hazel and frank and piper and jason and nico and uh, Annabeth and Percy, I was forgetting them. <laughs> we should. I can't believe I... you almost forgot Annabeth and Percy. They, they're stuck in Tartarus forever now. I guess I, I forgot about them. <laughs> Shall I deliver the summaries unto us? Yes. Chapter seventy-five. Hazel. As soon as he realizes Hecate and Hazel are going to fight together. Clytius covers the room in a dark smoke, the same kind he is extracting from the mouths of Percy, Annabeth, and Leo. 
In anger, Hazel summons the mist, which counteracts the smoke and teleports her friends behind her. She fights to protect them, shooting gems from the surrounding walls to punch through his armor. This irritates him, and he tries to swear to his side by telling her Hecate has consistently betrayed her allies, but Hazel won't budge. She manages to get around Clytius, cutting the doors of death from their chains and allowing them to teleport away. Still, she isn't unscathed, as he catches her with the flat of his giant sword. She's not going to be able to take this fight on by herself, but she won't have to, because at that moment, Jason, Frank, Nico, and Piper arrive to fight. Chapter 76, Hazel Against Hazel alone, Clytius seemed unstoppable, but when all of the demigods come together, he folds like a house of cards. It's not long before Jason destroys his armor and Hecate burns him until he's not even ash. She doesn't give Hazel so much as a thank you, though, instead commanding her to hurry toward Athens and stop Gaia. The house of Hades begins to crumble, and after a quick session of reunion hugs, Nico and Hazel combine their powers to shadow travel everyone to the hill outside. They collapse onto the grass exhausted, especially Percy and Annabeth, who aren't able to bring themselves to talk about what happened in Tartarus. Not yet. Besides, their rides arrived. Coach had just flown the Argo 2 to pick them up, and right next to him is Reyna. Chapter 77, Percy. Although she's still suspicious of the whole situation, Reyna is awed by her inspection of the Athena Parthenos. She also seems approving when she learns Frank's become Praetor, already evaluating him to figure out what sort of partner he could be. They want her to take the statue back, but she's hesitant, well with having broken the Legion's laws by chasing after them and all. Plus, her Pegasus Scipio died on the way. But a Roman leader returning it to Camp Half-Blood is the only thing that could heal the rift for good, so they've got to figure out how to get her back before the Feast of Hope, which is in exactly two weeks. Hazel suggests using the Labyrinth, but Annabeth and Percy both shoot the idea down. They know it's dangerous all too well. Frank offers to take her, but he's one of the seven and therefore necessary for the quest. But Nico isn't. He volunteers to shadow travel them the whole way. They'll also need someone to protect them from monster attacks, and Frank's quick to suggest Coach Hedge, a true and blue protector, who will then get to see his family. They're going to part ways, the Argo 2 heading east, and the Athena Parthenos crew heading west. Chapter 78, Percy. While Nico runs off to get some alone time, taking the opportunity to tie ropes to the Athena Parthenos, Percy follows and thanks him for leading everyone safely to the House of Hades, as well as acting like a true friend to Bob. Nico refuses his gratitude, though, and basically tells Percy to get lost so he can work in peace. Annabeth comes up the hill, and soon after, Reyna and Coach Hedge do as well. They say their goodbyes and disappear into the darkness. Not long after, the Argo 2 is back en route, traveling by sea around the Greek mainland. But even on the ocean, all Percy can think about is Bob and Domison. Annabeth lets him know she's in the same place, and that they have to make their sacrifice worth it. For a few moments before the final stretch of their quest begins in earnest, there's a kind of uneasy peace. Leo tinkers with Festus's brain, preparing it for the eventual journey back to Ogygia. Piper and Hazel practice their sword play so that when the next battle inevitably comes, they'll be ready. Jason and Frank talk quietly at the helm about the Legion or Praetorship or who knows what. Percy knows they're a good crew. He starts to tell Annabeth that he would sacrifice himself if him ending this quest successfully for them, but she cuts him off with a kiss and says that once they get home, once they defeated Gaia, she'll have something special to finally tell him, something that he can look forward to. A bit of hope to hold on to, through the dark. And as they sail on through the night, Percy looks up to the constellations and tells them hello from Bob. Next week, Sea of Monsters 4. <laughs> so Jane, what did you think of these final chapters of the House of Hades? 
I think the, these are good final chapters. They are also, this is very much what we were, I think we were predicting, uh, I think last week, where we were like, this is Blood of Olympus part one. I guess so, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what a series of books is. I don't know, that's kind of just how uh, the whole series, uh-huh. This, this, I, I guess, I guess what I mean is like, I don't feel like there was a, um a more cohesive, like, standalone plot to this book in the same way that some, there was something like Mark of Athena or Son of Neptune. Like, this yeah. very much felt like, kind of, th- this this ends with, like, the adventure continues. It did. You're you're very much right about that. I think if there was one thing that I would call that, it would be uh, the just sort of the quest to free the doors of death. And, I, but that, you're right that that didn't feel as important or final uh, or like contained as something like uh, the Mark of Athena quest. It happens almost offhandedly. Uh huh. Like Hazel, Hazel seals the doors of death, and then we just kind of move straight onto the fight with the giant. Yeah, it doesn't really get mentioned afterwards at all. We don't have Thanatos coming by to be like, oh, good, "Great job, everyone." We don't, you know, see them off in the distance teleporting around. We don't hear Gaia sort of like shake her earthen fist. None of that really <laughs> happens. None of that really happens, but we do we do still get that very nice kind of wrap up for this book, which was summarized very nicely by you, I think. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I I tried to get across the effect that it had. Uh, which yeah. it, it it was a it was a very good ending uh, for this book, even though it is like sort of a to be continued. You, you get the roundabout do 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 next time on <laughs> jo- you know Percy's bizarre adventure. Uh huh. Uh, although you know who who it really kind of works for that this isn't like uh, as big a conclusion as some other books have. Uh, who would that be? Uh, our favorite little gay boy, Nico D'Angelo. Yeah, I was surprised by how sort of Nico came off in this book to the point that I almost wonder, not how he came off. So I was I was surprised as to how sort of his story here resolved uh, to the point that I it, it makes it feel like he's gonna have to come back in Blood of Olympus in a big way. One hundred percent. I'll admit it. I I kind of, in my brain, I thought I remembered there being a scene where he comes out to Percy. Oh. I, there are two possibilities here because I know I read this book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the possibility number one is that I was transposing like Percy onto Jason. That's very possible. Possibility number two, I did read Blood of Olympus and that happens there. If I had a nickel for every time one of the unwise girls actually read all the way to, through to the end of the series and then completely forgot until they actually got to that book, I would have two nickels, which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it's happened twice. <laughs> yeah, so I, I'm not sure which of those it is right now, but I guess we'll have to keep an eye out. <laughs> we'll have to keep an eye out, but for now, I I don't know, I kind of... I I think Nico is a character who just, like, you, you need to give him angst to work through. <laughs> yeah. There, there is nothing angstier than, like, the very kind of inconclusive way that this kind of ends with him not really being able to get his feelings out to Percy and still being kind of closed off. Yeah, definitely. It ends with Percy still being like, like, hey, what the fuck is this guy's guy's problem? Yeah. (laughs) It's, it's sad, right? We get, we get scenes like uh, Nico's eyes glittered with anger more intensely than Percy could understand. He wondered if he'd done something to offend the guy. Like, <laughs> Percy, Nico is mad at Percy throughout a lot of this. He, he's mm-hmm. like, he's mad at himself too, but he's externalizing that sort of at Percy. And when Percy wonders things out loud, like, hey, Nico, like, are you actually able to do that? That's 
Nico's big crush saying that he thinks like Nico isn't up to snuff, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it, it there's a whole lot of really well developed intense emotions happening here that are all tangled up in a, in a nice and uh, sort of not disastrous way, but a, a sad way. Yeah, I think there's like, especially in YA fiction, there is sometimes like a knee jerk. There's kind of a, a knee jerk response to like to try and avoid like a lot of the really shitty tropes around writing queer characters, to like basically not give them any real conflicts. Yeah. And, but and I and I like that Nico, you know, we're not delving into any of those shitty tropes, but Nico does have to deal with the fact that like he has a lot of like internalized homophobia, seemingly, <laughs> and like yeah. really struggles to like talk to people because of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like the picture drawn of him and Percy's relationship here because I think mm. I was um I was interested in like how complicated are Nico's feelings, not just by the homophobia, but how they've come into conflict in the past. Mm-hmm. And I think it's coming to the surface that there is a lot of that. Uh like uh one line that really stuck out to me was Nico saying, and this was like not dir- not this was directed at Percy, but not in the sense like he it, he was talking about something else, but he was actually talking about Percy. Yeah, uh, he says not giving people a second thought that can be dangerous, and mm-hmm. I that really just says everything about how he believes Percy views him. I think. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of true. It is, yeah, yeah. We, I mean, in the the in between books that we. Uh, the in-between stories that we've seen, like, between the end of um, PGO and uh, Heroes of Olympus, like, Percy doesn't mention Nico at all. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, this is Percy's character at this point. Percy is kind of inconsiderate. Percy is a guy who is fiercely devoted, but he, like, has a group of of people that he, like, hyper-fixates on. Yeah, he kind of has, like, the ADHD thing where he can only really focus on what's in front of him. Yeah, and I think that that makes for a more... You're right that this avoids that sort of YA miasma of like, all right, everyone has to be best friends. We have to smooth out all the conflicts. Yeah. And by way of Percy, like who who is the original main character. And I think that is... Uh, I, I would give the nod to Rick Riordan for that. Yeah, definitely. I also think it's just very... I mean, there there is a lot of the angst and the internalized homophobia and stuff. There There is also, I think, just like... Something very funny about Percy saying, uh, Nico seemed kind of pissed off at me. I I wonder what I'd done to offend the guy. And at that point, I imagine, like, the frame going gray and, like, zooming in on him or, like, uh, a translucent replay of, like, him throttling Nico or letting Bianca die, like, plays over him. Yeah, <laughs> He's exactly. He's just, like, staring obliviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Percy's, Percy's whole relationship to Nico is a whole journey of him doing things that would upset him. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's part of why, like the line about like, if you don't consider people, really, really stands out to me because that. that yeah, exactly. God, Percy, yeah, he's he's kind of dumb. Yeah, I mean the Nico doesn't know that that's what's going through his head, but Nico, but Percy is kind of proving him right by being like, "Oh, what did I do?" When Definitely. he did several things very concretely. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I am curious what your thoughts are on the fight with Clytius, because this was sort of, after the battle with Pacify, it, it was not very long, but it did sort of 
uh, effectively render an emotion, some themes, uh, a lot of, you know, talking about like abuse and how that intersects with Hazel. I'm curious what you thought about this one, sort of the, the, the bigger threat it was almost framed as. Yeah, I I don't know. I'm conflicted on this fact because I think you're right that it does bring that stuff across. I also think like like Pacify, Clytius got like hyped up quite a lot and then kind of went went down very quickly. Yeah. Which I also I also get as like it's also kind of a punch the air moment for just like this is the first time we see the entire team working together to take down a giant all at once and that is really cool. Mm-hmm. And it does make sense that he would get his shit rocked by that. But I don't know, I, I, I come away from this feeling like the two bozos from Mark of Athena were kind of more dangerous. Yeah, because they were just on, on the, like, in the book for longer, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Sometimes that presence really does add up to more than a, like, scare, more scarily drawn villain, I think. I think so, uh, yeah. Like, I there there's stuff of this fight that I, I, I think, like, what we have of it I do enjoy. Uh, mm. Like, Hazel's, like, gem railgun... <laughs> that's uh, very cool it's awesome uh hecate being like she's just as formidable as hercules and dionysus that's awesome the hazel w very common the, yeah a bit common hazel w for sure <laughs> and i agree with you that like this is kind of necessary to show off like this is the full strength of the crew right mm-hmm. but i don't know there are still and there are also still a few moments in, the, in it that i kind of like side eye or i'm like wondering about like uh clydeus brings up that circe medea and pacify are all also favorites of hecate uh and i'm what do you think of this parallel happening between them and hazel uh yeah i think i think it kind of it ties back into some of the stuff we were talking about pacify last week where like rick ryden is juggling a mythology that was very very weird about women and he's kind Uh of i think not because what the implication of this seems to be that uh, Hazel will also end up as an evil scorned woman. Yeah, a little bit. And I think I don't know. It's it's a it's a weird place to like take that. I think, especially considering like what we know about past phase history of abuse and also Hazel's. Yeah, definitely right. Because last week what we talked about was Pacify and uh, Hazel's mom in parallel. Mm, yeah, and. Now we're putting her uh, in the the Hazel position instead, and that, and you can also do that because Pacify was like she was herself abused, mm. uh, in you know different ways. But yes, and so it it does make it seem like okay, is Hazel is this saying that Hazel will repeat the cycle? You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but that I don't think that's necessarily intentional. I think my 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 immediate reading of this would be like. Not my immediate reading, because I think what you said does come out is like the first thing that you see. But if I had to be like, what was required in his intention here? Yeah. I think he was writing to be like, oh, you know, Hecate has turned all these away. They all ended up sad and alone and broken. And it's it was Hecate's fault, you know? Uh, like, I think that was what Rick Riordan was trying to get the character of Clytius to say. Yeah. It, but it, it, it doesn't quite fit, you know? Yeah, definitely. It, it kind of... At the end of the day, like, it, it has potential to be, like, a thing, but it kind of comes across more as just, like, the best way to read this is just as evil villain bullshitting. Definitely. Hazel should Hazel should hang out with that kid from Son of Magic. Fucking, uh, t- what, Alabaster? Alabaster, that was it. 
Yeah, I like that idea. The, <laughs> the son of Hecate. That's a. I I know that we've talked about like we don't want them to meet up like with the main crew, but I yeah. would like it if there was like a alabaster cameo at some point. It'd be fun. A little alabaster. They can have little fan service cameo as a treat. Like a chapter, maybe you know. Yeah. I mean, the rest of those fucking short stories have to be, like, plot-critical now. Why not uh-huh. Son of Magic? <laughs> yeah, definitely. We, we need Hecate to be like, and remember, like, don't don't give up your faith in the Lord. <laughs> People call me a triple goddess. However, the only triple god is the Trinity. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck's sake. <laughs> Hecate's kind of a bitch. Yeah, she is. She, There's no thank you, no good job, Hazel. It's just, all right, keep working, keep going. Usually the gods will, the, the nicer ones at least, will be kind of a dick and then kind of like catch the character's eye and give them a little a little smile. But Hecate uh-huh. just like leaves. <laughs> and in a way that's more honest, right? Yeah, that's true. Like, they give a little smile, maybe they'll give you a slight boon, but at the end of the day, end of the day they're also just going to leave. But yeah, it's she's she's kind of terrible. I and she for a book that seemed like it was so centered on like magic and Hecate, I there wasn't a whole lot of Hecate across these seventy-eight chapters. Yeah, she only appears to like give uh, Hazel the choice initially, and now again at the end, right? That's like the extent of Hazel's magic tutelage. Yeah, we never got any Gale resolution. <laughs> Yeah, what the fuck was Gale's deal? Gale didn't even turn out to be um, Hecate. No. It was like the, on- the only justification I could see for that. I I don't really understand it at all. I guess... Sometimes the publisher tells you that you need a farting weasel in there for the kids. Yeah, I mean, Rick Riordan, he's got a he's got a sensibility about him. I think he would just throw in a farting weasel on his own. That's very possible. There are, there are some good imagery in this fight, though. I like the sort of like competing like black and white mists. Mm, yeah, that's cool. And there's a bit where, like, after Clytius, like, floods the room with his smoke, uh, that, like, the only thing that can be seen through the darkness is uh, his gleaming eyes. Which is very and cool. Definitely. I'm a sucker for that. I went and saw a production of Into the Woods, and when the when the big bad wolf shows up uh, and is like, hello, little girl, can I eat you? Uh, like, throughout all those scenes, there is just, like, a, a pair of giant wolf eyes, like, being hung up in the background in a very cool way. That's pretty uh, cool. And later on, when the giant comes in Act 2 to, like, destroy the town and kill Jack, the, the way that she is represented is through just these horrifying, glowing eyes and this voice off-screen, like, rumbling, and it's off-stage, rather. Uh, and it... it it, it reminded me of, like, that sort of, like, theatrical production here, I guess. Mm, yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a fight with some very cool moments. Like you like you were saying before about um, Hazel having, like, the fucking railgun. She yeah. has never been more earthbender than she is right now. Hazel reminds me of both an earthbender and also, like, the, uh, I think they're called, like, the Octogenes or something like that from uh, the Broken Earth trilogy. Uh, oh, I have not heard of that. The origins, rather. They, it's basically, they're basically earthbenders, kind of, but it's more complicated. It's a, it's a very good little series. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I think the highlight of this battle for me is also from Clytius. It's, it's literally just him talking. He calls himself, like, I, I am the offerer of truth. I am the one who strips away the mist. I destroy magic and illusion. And 
he's hyping himself up. He's trying to turn Hazel to his side, but it's still just kind of badass. Yeah, I, I, I wonder if we maybe should have seen some of that throughout the book. Yeah. Like, the, the idea of an enemy who, like, fucks with the mist is very cool and not something I think we've seen before. No, it's not. Like, like, I, we, mm-hmm. like we had the whole chapter with uh, Frank in Venice trying to deal with, like, the monsters that were, like, running through all those people and nobody could see them. And I think it would have been kind of cool if, like, an additional complication he maybe had to deal with, like, the mist suddenly vanishes and he has to deal with a bunch of panicking mortals as well or something. I would have really liked that. I want there to be more moments where the mist gets stripped away and sort of the artifice of, like, the urban fantasy separation gets yeah. taken down. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I want to put it to you. What do you think of... So in the in these chapters, Annabeth gets a sword. Piper <laughs> gets a sword. Everyone... I don't, I don't know why this stood out to me so much. Everybody is getting swords now. Like, everybody who was previously using a dagger is now using a sword instead. I think it's possible that we're just, like, at the point in the series where, like, the the... The, t- the intensity of fights of the fights has to ratchet up because the stakes are getting higher, uh, and so you have to give people heavier weaponry. I guess so. Yeah, some part of the thing with weaponry in this kind of series is that I feel like it always is so indicative of like personality, right? Mm. And so you try to carry it through as long as you can. Like a, a weapon change, like is usually part of a broader arc or sort of personality shift. Like there, we see we see that with um. We see that with Luke in the first series. We kind of see that with Frank here, like picking, like not th- like learning hit to use the bow and like at times throwing it away to use like a spear or a sword yeah. instead. Annabeth and Piper using swords instead of daggers. I'm not really sure what it's supposed to mean other, like what does it signify, I guess, at this point, other than shit's getting real. Yeah, I don't, I'm not sure there's any anything more to it than that is the problem. I One of the things that I guess the book didn't really capitalize on that much was that like annabeth lost her dagger like really early on and we never really went into that yeah like that that dagger was basically her last physical connection to luke yeah definitely and you could say like oh it say it says something that she doesn't even comment on that hmm but, but she would we she know would. that she's still broken up about it we do yeah and like Maybe, was there was there maybe a little bit of that at the end of Mark of Athena and we're forgetting? I don't know. I She had that general sense of loss of like, oh, I lost my backpack, I lost my hat, I lost my, my dagger, but I think it, it didn't quite go there with Luke. And there was a detail about her sword here, like, oh, it's made of ivory? I went back and looked. I didn't see a single mention of that before. It's <laughs> um uh, dragon tooth. Oh, right, it's dragon That's why tooth. it looks like ivory. Oh, right, okay, that was like, Hazel was making a mistake there i see yeah because they haven't told them what happened to tartarus yet right okay i have dragon two sword still is very cool even if it doesn't mean much for her you know although it does kind of mean much this is this is from the dracon right yeah yeah and so this is annabeth the one who was telling Damason like you have to break out the cycle you have to stop it using a weapon made of that same dracon I, I think that's kind of that that does kind of mean something like this is this says something about who Annabeth is as a character at this point. You know who this would be like a really sick weapon for? Who? Clarice. Yeah. That dracon killed Silena and then Clarice fucked its shit up. God, yeah. So I think just as like a a symbol of maybe like her holding on to revenge or something, that sword could be really cool. 
It would be. Uh, <laughs> Clarice should be here. Clarice should be. I, I need her to be like one of the point of view characters in the Blood of Olympus. <laughs> At least let it be in Trials of Apollo, Rick, please. Please. Piper also gets a sword, has, you know, she got a sword a while back. I guess what that signifies is like, you know, we're, we're, take that incels. She's logging out of Twitter. She's no longer doom scrolling on her knife. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I guess that's something. <laughs> we haven't gotten a lot of a lot of Piper time this book. I think we've only had like one set of chapters with her. I think so, yeah. And, you know, I'm still, even without like a lot of them, I'm still glad that we did yeah. know, check in, get our perspective, because I think breaking the format like that, like breaking the strict format is just only beneficial, basically. In fact, I think we got point of view from every single one of the seven in this book. I think so, yeah. Which is very cool. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of chapters to do it. <laughs> well, we got we got fewer chapters for the next one. Yeah, you're right. Uh, ever, what do you think of everyone's reactions? Uh, I I think I don't have a lot to say, but I think they're very sweet when uh, they just like the battle is done and they're like, "Hey, Percy and Annabeth are back." It's yeah, it's very sweet. It really like it underscores like the bonds that were formed in Mark of Athena. I think that they are like so happy to see them again. It just it goes back and strengthens that book in a great way. Yeah, I really like like Jason hugging Percy. Uh, like they're bros. Uh, Pipe, Piper hugging Annabeth and crying. Uh, Frank doesn't hug either of them. He just hugs Hazel. <laughs> Leo, I guess, just kind of stands around with his dick in his hand. <laughs> He's like. It describes him as, like, whooping. I'm imagining him doing, like, a whoop-whoop, like a fucking juggalo. He's like when Zoidberg runs out of the room or something. <laughs> oh, He's, like, scuttling yeah. around them. <laughs> he is a creature. <laughs> he is a creature. It's fine. It's good. <laughs> it's okay to be a creature sometimes. It really is. All right. So... With the arrival of Reyna, we sort of get... I, I I would love, like, a little side book where we learn what she was up to this whole time. I, guess, I mean, Although, I guess she was just, like, riding her horse until it died. That's awful. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. No, she didn't ride the horse until it died. She rode the horse until it was too injured to continue. Then she killed it. Like, I, yeah, I know that's, like, what you have to do with a horse, <laughs> you know? Like, that's it's the, it's the more humane thing. <laughs> But I didn't expect them to talk about putting animals down in this book. I don't know. Do you think she said that with an earshot of Piper? <laughs> oh my God. She, She's just like, God, Jason, your, your last girlfriend was a bitch. <laughs> I feel like there's nobody, everyone here would have negative feelings towards her for that. Percy really likes horses, kind of. Percy would have been able to hear it begging for mercy. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> Hazel really likes horses, of course. Uh, fucking Frank can be a pet horse sometimes. Exactly. What if what if Raina had bashed his head in with a rock? What then? Yeah, I bet that would have been so good then. And what if fucking <laughs> and what if Raina had been an agent of Kronos this entire time? That would have been interesting. <laughs> you know what? Maybe Annabeth would have been fine with it because horses are kind of just like skinnier cows. I guess so, yeah. <laughs> I like that Reyna is consistent. Consistently an asshole? Consistently an asshole, for sure. <laughs> uh, and also consistently like, how can I use the other Praetor to my advantage? <laughs> <laughs> 
God, this is this actually this sucks for her. Yeah. Every every time there's a new Praetor, she kind of tries to put the moves on them, and it doesn't work. And this time, like this, this comes pretty fucked. Frank already has a girlfriend. Definitely, I. <laughs> he might honestly be more susceptible to like other manipulations, though. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Like he's already just kind of an angsty guy. He's he's angsty, and he's also like very earnest. Like he's somehow both of those things. Yeah, I I feel like if Reyna was like this is for the best of the of the le- of the Legion, then he would like have a hard time not going along with her at first, you know? She could absolutely talk him into killing the horse. Def- definitely. He wouldn't enjoy she it, could, but she could do it. She could give him one, like, wow, your hair is really nice, friend. Or like, well, like, your eyelashes are so pretty. Sign this. <laughs> you look really nice in that hoodie, Frank. <laughs> Damn, you were boy moding? I couldn't even tell. You just read so feminine to me. Ah, it's 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 so easy. She has it twisted around her little finger already. <laughs> what, are, what are we conjuring? What are we creating? I don't know. Let's move on. Let's. I guess. Yeah. Although I do want to keep talking about Frank and gender for a second because uh-huh. there's a a line that Percy has here. He says that it was if like Frank's new appearance. It was as if Frank had turned into a bull and then back to a human, but he kept some of the bullishness. What do you think of that? I uh, I want to. I, I just like to stop dwelling on like the ooh Frank is no longer fat. He's now cool. Yeah. What stands out to me about this line though is that it kind of reads more neutrally than that. Yeah, that's like, true. Like saying that someone looks like a bull. Like, is, is not really, dis- I mean, it can be, but it's not, like, outright describing him, like, oh, isn't it so cool that he has big muscles now? It's almost, like, it almost sounds negative. And, mm. like, I don't want to be, like, I mean, we need to balance out, like, how we're talking about Frank's body, both positively and negatively, <laughs> but <laughs> I, 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 it's interesting that we are getting a different, I guess, perspective from Percy, kind of. Yeah, definitely. I yeah, I'm glad it's not. Uh, this isn't like something that we have had, which is like being uncritical about it. Yeah, especially because it when it happened, it was kind of like horrifying to Frank, right? Yeah, no, Frank was fucked up about it, and so it like for someone else to see, as for Percy, who is like a really good friend to Frank, mm-hmm. to see that and be like, oh, Frank has like changed. Frank has been transformed. That I, I think I like that a little bit. Yeah, I hope it gets built on in the next book. Although considering that we will, there was a bunch of stuff at the end of Mark of Athena where we're like, oh, I really hope that this gets built on in the next book, and it didn't. <laughs> I'm not getting my hopes up. Yeah, we, it it kind of feels like you just have to take them all as they are. Yeah, Coach Hedge is totally gonna die. You think so? One hundred percent. Are you kidding me? He's he is going to like die getting Reyna over the boundary or something. Is there not a point where too many death flags equal like you have to live? I just I don't I don't think Rick is the kind of writer who like works that many moves ahead of the audience. Mm-hmm. I think he he tends to be relatively straightforward with this stuff. Like if a, a character has a death flag, that probably means they're going to get it in the neck. That has been pretty consistently true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I. I guess I just really want him to live at this point. I've become very invested in Coach Hedge's character. <laughs> That's very funny, because I have not. <laughs> you haven't? I thought we I like him. I like him fine. 
Yeah, I, I've become normally invested in Coach as a character, is what I'll say. I see. I, to the point I'm, that I... If uh-huh. he... If, I think if he dies in a sufficiently funny way, I will like laugh at what happens, is where I'm at investment-wise. For sure, but I also think <laughs> I'm at the point where if he died in a sufficiently sad way, I would be like, aw, Coach Edge. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Percy goes like... He's like... He becomes like an accelerationist for a second. <laughs> uh, he, he gets so mad at Gaia that he imagines dropping like nuclear weapons. He uses the like metaphor of using like godly nukes against her. Is, is it even a metaphor? He just like thinks, oh, it'd be cool if the uh, Athena Parthenos was like an ICBM and could cause a nuclear explosion. He's he's just fantasizing destroying the Earth with nuclear bombs. <laughs> this is this is the point where he's gotten to. I I th- I think we need to cut Percy a little bit of slack here. He has had an exceptionally bad week. Of course, of course. <laughs> Although actually, I guess we don't see Annabeth doing this. Uh, we, I think that's probably just because we are not getting a perspective right now. I think she's imagining much worse things. That is actually very possible. I can imagine Annabeth like, okay, I have to poison this river and then this river. This will cause the ecosystem to collapse. I, sh- I need to introduce these invasive species. Uh, <laughs> if, I, if I can just manipulate these people and the earth will be ruined forever. If it's a choice between destroying Greece or destroying the world, Annabeth will feel bad about it, but she's going to smash that button. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i guess speaking of having bad weeks they they uh are very immediately like hey like we are traumatized right now we cannot just like give you a recap oh well, uh, yeah this 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 definitely seems to be like e- even in percy and annabeth's extremely fucked up lives this seems to rate as one of the most fucked up things that has ever happened to them which it should right this is yeah this is uh, I'm glad that it's being treated with the significance it should have. Yeah, definitely. Like the 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 like level of suffering in those chapters was usually brought across really well, and I'm glad that that's not being kind of thrown away. And it's a nice touch that they uh, are the ones who speak out when Hazel suggests using the labyrinth uh, to get Reyna back because that that feels like you know Hazel is at the place where she'd be like, well, you can just you know labyrinth over there, and. Annabeth and Percy were just stuck in a fucked up place. They know that this is also a fucked up place. Annabeth and Percy have uh-huh. a flashback to the second worst thing that ever happened to them. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> God. I feel like they should re- Camp Half-Blood should really just set it up so that like they have a big gun pointed at every single entrance into Camp Half-Blood from uh, the <laughs> Labyrinth. Well, the lab- oh, well, I guess they don't know it's reopened yet. I guess not, yeah. Kind of horrifying. Kind of horrifying, yeah. I, they could bring back, uh, that's how they bring Clarice back. They bring back the Border Patrols from Sea of Monsters. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> continuing our Border Patrol theme, I love it. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that metaphor hasn't come back up, actually. that's That seemed to disappear after their uh, Son of Neptune. Yeah, same. Uh, we have a new time limit. Yeah, I mean, this is an old time limit, I guess. We're just being, this is just, like, moved to the foreground now. Like, we've known about this one for a while. Yeah, it, well, what's happening here is that all the other stakes are being brushed away, basically. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. We're, like, we're be. it's, it's at this point, all we have to worry about is the, the feast. No we more side quests, worry- no more bullshit. Yeah. The, 
there's a different RPG party doing a different main quest at the same time, but <laughs> like that that's fine. You know, they can do that. <laughs> Each party has one task, and I actually really like that going into the next book. Yeah, definitely. I am a little curious about um, uh, Nico's decision to shadow travel uh, back west. Because you can only shadow travel like a couple hundred miles at a time, right? I, yeah, I read this and then I reread it and I was like, wait, there's an ocean. Yeah, there's there's an ocean that they will just fall into and drown. I guess he could shadow travel across boats. I, yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, it wouldn't cause any issues for a boat if you just like materialized on it with a 100 ton statue. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not, right? The modern boats can hold an ancient Greek statue. I, it is 100 tons. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on like how it's laid out. Like, if he just like materializes on one end of the boat, it'll just fucking capsize. Uh-huh. God, that's horrifying. <laughs> Although, actually, People I guess if he, if he shadow travels fast enough, maybe he just, like gets in, has a breather for a couple of seconds while the boat is capsizing, and then moves on and it's no longer his problem. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I have to... Maybe what we're going to discover that, like, satyrs can walk on water or something. I don't know. Grover becomes ever more Jesus-moded. God. I, just, I, I do kind of feel like the Reina Nico Coach Hedge triumvirate is a little bit, like, a really weird parallel to Percy, Annabeth, and Grover. It is kind of a weird Percy, Annabeth, and Grover thing. I, yeah, I can see that. It's like when the it's like when Power Rangers in space introduce the Psycho Rangers, who are just the normal Power Rangers but fucked up and weird. <laughs> uh, like the they are like the they're like the not normal. Could, I guess what's happening is that we're, get, we're getting both things. We're getting the boat full of demigods on one side, and we're getting the three questers on the other side. Yeah, I guess so. How do you think that will be represented? Because I think the two ways it could be is, like, we get them as consistent point-of-view characters throughout, and we follow their journey like that. Or do you think it'll be more like, um, like we just sort of, like, at, at some point we'll get, you know, maybe some messages, and maybe, like, at one point Nico will pop back in, like, oh, we did it. I think it's maybe going to be a case of, like, um, Percy will have, like, dreams about how it's going. Like, I, I, my, my suspicion is that it's not going to be eventful enough to warrant, like, perspective chapters, especially just because I could be proven wrong on this, but I feel like the dynamic between Reyna, Coach Hedge, and Nico would be kind of nothing because they're characters who don't, basically don't have anything to do with one another. Yeah, like, Reyna, we would get to explore, like, fawn racism oh god yeah no i no god i hope it's just dreams actually i don't want to have to deal with <laughs> reina hating homeless people every fucking chapter god no yeah we get a hint of that of her being like why would we take a lazy useless fawn with us and like reina, <laughs> shut the fuck up shut up thank god you're not in charge of camp jupiter anymore god yeah I mean, Octavian is right now, which isn't much better. That is actually worse, probably. I think he would use fawns as, like, he would use them instead of stuffed animals if he could. He would use them instead of stuffed animals. He would just, like, hand hand them a rifle and stick them on the front lines as cannon fodder while invading Camp Half-Blood. Yeah. 
there is an interesting the way this chapter ends is interesting interesting to me speaking of annabeth's sort of uh connections to like fate and prophecy annabeth talks about like percy is like hey can we just like not do this can we just if we just like don't go to greece won't gaia not have a sacrifice (laughs) and annabeth says like well you have to like go with the prophecy or worse things might happen you just also have to like stop at the last second and stop it before it can get too bad yeah and i mean she she's right like listen they, they they live in the world of greek myths and you literally just need to look at any greek myth to see someone being like no i'm gonna defy fate i'm gonna subvert this prophecy uh, and then they end up poking their eyes out after fucking their mom or something. Uh-huh. Yeah. It, pretty much. <laughs> and it's interesting for Annabeth, uh, you have to break the cycle chase to be saying mm-hmm. this, but also I think that it makes sense because this is her this is her taking the step back and this is her sort of being like, all right, I cannot personally change the course of all human history. Mm -hmm. We have to like go and lean into this and then all change it together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're thinking it's kind of an extension of like, um, what we've been seeing about Annabeth, like, uh, pride finally starting to get like broken down a little bit. I think so. And it's a Percy thing too. Because yeah. Percy is Percy is the guy who is constantly offered the choice to run away. Mm-hmm. And for a second here, he's like, hey, can we just run away? And <laughs> he's reminded, like, oh, no, we can't. Yeah. I don't have a lot left to say about these chapters. The ending is amazing. The ending's very good. I, I think the, just the little vignettes of them on the ship is great. But just ending with the, like, Bob says hello, he told the stars. That's It hits. It hits. Yeah, fuck. Poor Bob. Poor Bob. Poor Damason. Poor Damason. Hey, you know what is kind of shaping out to be kind of a lame thing about the series overall? What? Like, the the idea that gets pitched in the early Heroes of Olympus books is basically like, Camp Jupiter and Camp Harpo have to form like a big alliance to stop Gaia. Yeah. And it kind of seems like that's not going to happen until like the final book. Like, we've mostly been kind of dicking around in a kind of civil war situation. Yeah, and it hasn't really leaned into the, I guess, what could be interesting about a full Civil War situation. Which is Camp Jupiter being pro-slavery. No, I'm (laughs) actually going to explicitly say that couldn't be interesting. Yeah, no, that would probably suck, actually. There are a few things there. Like, I think it would really lean into, like, defining the differences. That would probably need to be the entire plot of the series, though, if that was what it was. Yeah. Uh, And I also think that could (coughs) be where some of the, like... We were talking about, like, the veil falling away. That could be interesting if they had to, like, deal with, like... I don't know. Like, they have to deal with, like, their actions affecting the mortal world. If yeah. there's actively a war going on. Yeah, definitely. And, yeah, that's, you're right. Like, that's not what this is. And they're also not just, like, two groups banding together. Like, that's... It feels like that's going to be, like, a mid-book turn for the final book. My, my, my suspicion is that it's going to be the case that, like getting the Athena Parth- Parthen- the Athena Parthenos to Camp Half-Blood and like reconciling the two camps with this symbol that neither of them give a fuck about really uh, is going to be like a thing that mag- creates a magical blast that fucks up Gaia or something rather than it being like a material thing that the characters do. Yeah. The idea of the Athena Parthenos, which we know is the sole domain of Romans who have legends about it and weirdo athena kids who all die also have legends uh-huh 
What's what I just say? I said who all die. Who all die. Or else who also just kind of have legends about it. Mm-hmm. Doesn't feel like it's significant enough to actually change anything. Like, I, I would put more money on Raina's plan of, like, executing Annabeth as, like, a, a better way to secure peace between the camps, frankly. And I don't want her yeah. to do that. What I kind of hope happens is that she presents this and it, I don't know, maybe it creates room for a truce, I guess, and, like, for them to actually have to talk out the problems Mm-hmm. So maybe, like, the, the Athena Parthenos gets there, like, fairly quickly in Blood of Olympus, and then there's kind of movement from there. Yeah, like, we get to have the war room. Yeah. We get to gather around the ping-pong table. Everyone at a ping-pong table, yes, exactly. They, like, they bring the ping-pong table to, like, the fucking demilitarized zone between them, <laughs> and, like, like they, they bring it to, like, the tree, and everyone has a little sit-down. I think that could be one of the more interesting ways for this to resolve. I think so, yeah. So what do you think about House of Hades as a book? We, we, we finished it. We've gotten it out of the way. The long, the, I think the longest book in the series. I think... I think I enjoyed this book. I just... I think because it doesn't have as distinct a, like, central plot of its own, I just don't think it's going to stick in my mind as much as something like Mark of Athena. Yeah, which is weird because the highs were so high. yeah. I feel like there were, like, the ratio of good to bad chapters in this book is maybe just, like, one of the best ratios we've gotten ever. Yeah, it's it's very, like, it's very fast-paced. It just, like, keeps the good ideas coming. So it's, it's, it's really good in that way. It kind of feels like it's going to dissolve into the series as a whole for me. Yeah. Which, I, I don't mean that badly. I think this book... This book has improved my viewpoint of the series as a whole, uh, but as a singular book, it's because you're right. It's not as contained. I I think I can't like, I can't be like. Of course, the House of Hades, the best book. Instead yeah. of instead, it makes me think of like the Heroes of Olympus, a good series, right? Yeah, which I get in in a way is kind of like a good function for this book to serve, especially considering how down we were on like Son of Neptune. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. It, it bolsters the whole thing, and that is a a good role for a book to serve. Yeah. Especially before the final book, when you want to kind of go in with high spirits, you know? Definitely. Uh, you got any big predictions for Blood of Olympus? Big predictions... At least one person will die. Oh yeah, one, like, of, one, least... I, one of the seven has to die, surely. My, my guess for this whole thing is that they can't like kill Gaia but they can put her back to sleep right oh yeah there's no they, they definitely can't kill her maybe they're I think I'm gonna throw in like a prediction based on how these books tend to go at like there's going to be a mysterious goddess or god who they have to like who appears and is actually integral to the whole thing mm, yeah kind of a kind of a Hestia situation we're gonna get another Hestia I think yeah that makes uh, how sense about you? any predictions I reckon it's Leo that's gonna die yeah. That's that's who I'm I'm placing my money on. You think he's never going to make it back to Ogigia or like he will but then he dies? I I think if if Rick Ryden really wants to like stick the knife in and twist it is that he'll like get the capability to go back to Ogigia and then die. I mean that could be kind of interesting if Calypso then gets you know out of Ogigia because yeah. 
she made a like very spe- special specific type of connection with Leo that it seems like she hasn't had before. Mhm. Uh and her then having to be like, "Hey, all right, everyone, I'm back. Where's Leo?" <laughs> what what the fuck? Like that that would be I think that'd be an interesting character to have in like Trial of Apollo or something. Yeah, definitely. And you know, if Leo if Leo can't get back to OGGO, well, he's got nothing to live for anyway. <laughs> Oh God! No, you know there's more to life than romance. Yeah, but I know. I just wanted to say something awful. About him. It, it's entirely fair. Leo is. I think Leo would think that. <laughs> uh, yeah. I honestly, the last few books have been good. I, I yeah. I, I guess my big prediction is I think it'll be good. I think Blood of Olympus will be a good book. This kind of structurally, it seems to be kind of shaping up to be like a repeat of uh, PJO, where like the second one is a bit of a stumble, and apart from that, they're all pretty consistently good. Definitely, yeah. Required, and I guess we'll see how the second Trials of Apollo book is. I kind of hope that's a car crash, just so that we like have that consistent pattern. I agree. Yeah. I guess how does map on the Kane Chronicles? I don't think any of those uh, books were the that good. Thing. <laughs> I mean, this, I feel like the second one... I it was think se- he actually liked... Uh-huh. It was a second YA fantasy series. Yeah, <laughs> fuck, you're right. You know what? Maybe that clears it up so Magnus Chase will be no nothing but bangers. I hope so. I forgot that we have to read Magnus Chase after this. We can't jump straight to Trials of Apollo. I'm so, like... Magnus Chase feels like it's going to be a really weird series. Yeah. Just because, like... Norse mythology, like the Greek mythology, is like has a big presence in popular culture, but Norse mythology is really oversaturated. And like, Greek mythology is big, but also that's partly Rick Riordan's fault to begin with. Whereas a this is him bit. jumping on something a while after the fact. Yeah, I mean, they are certainly like this is Rick Riordan tackling an equal in pop culture to greek mythology this is the uh, one that has like, the fucking people mostly know about it from the mcu oh so much of that is going to be people having assumptions from the mcu and then they have to get debunked by like an actual mythical character that's probably going to happen at least once <laughs> one of these books is called the hammer of thor i think like i'm, I'm sure there'll be someone being like whoa i bet captain america i don't know some shit magnus will be like oh my god why does he look like chris hemsworth and because like, oh, that's the the image that you perceive of him in your mind <laughs> they're both disney properties i think it could happen <laughs> god I hope hopefully it'll be better than that yeah i hope it's better than that i i, I don't know do i I don't know. I mean, I think it would be kind of funny if it was another Kane Chronicles situation. <laughs> yeah, Kane Chronicles. At the end of the day, it was kind of really fun to read through, even though it was bad. Kane Chronicles had some rough bits, especially in like Red Pyramid, where we were having to get used to reading like a big book that was kind of bad. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes you gotta you gotta read some dog shit to really appreciate the good stuff that gets written. I think we've like trained ourselves. We can easily handle a Magnus Chase. We 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 have been trained on five bad Rick Ryden books at this point. Unless it's like levels we've never seen. Which I also kinda think would be fun. It would be. What if it's like Did he get I his intern to write this? <laughs> oh god what people didn't realize is that Haley Riordan actually ghost wrote the entirety of Magnus Chase no because if Haley Riordan wrote Magnus Chase it would rip because Son of Magic was good yeah true 
I'm just imagining, like, I don't know. I'm imagining people doing Norse mythology, like, AoE spells. <laughs> no disrespect to Haley Riordan, Son of Magic did rip. It's true. It's true. It's, uh, you know what? You wanna... Te- technically, Haley Riordan has a better batting average than his dad in this regard. <laughs> You're right. You're completely correct. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about this book, Jane, before we uh, before we wrap it up? Uh, should we wrap it up with a segment? I think we should do our segment. Who w- we? I feel like we have forgotten to do this enough that we can establish a new precedent. Should we say the not cis, the the least cishet character of the book? We have to keep. We've had to expand the parameters of this so much since we started doing it. Uh-huh. I mean, it used to be just Percy Jackson himself. No, it wasn't. It was used to be signs that Percy Jackson is trans, and then we just kind of had to keep widening our margins on that when we realized that like canon queerness was like a fucking decade of books away. Yeah. <laughs> and hey, we've reached the decade. We did. We got there. So, you know what? Lisa's head character of the book. I'll give it to Nico. Fuck yeah. I yeah. I think we have to. Yeah. Hey, congratulations, Nico. Congratulations, Nico, on being forcibly outed by a malicious Greek god. <laughs> we all do it. You know what? Congratulations to Nico on having at least one friend who is for sure, like, positive and non-judgmental about it. That is actually that is actually good. That's awesome. Yeah. You know what? Jason gets the biggest ally award. That's true. But he probably told Bob to. But he probably told Bob to, right? I think. I think. Yeah, he probably spent a lot of time like sit, sitting in Tartarus, like kicking his legs off like a wall or something, and like talking shit out with Bob, and Bob just nodding very understandingly. Yeah, oh, Bob would have had some great wisdom, though. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I I don't know that he would have. <laughs> I, I think by like the end of this book, he would have had some great wisdom. That's true. Like, like you, uh, son of Hades, you've. You've separated your identity into these two... You have to merge them. You have to, like, understand that this is the person who you are. You know, that kind of thing. Uh Uh-huh. Whereas I think at the start of the book, he would just be, like... He would just be sweeping and nodding understandingly while Nico just kind of talks to himself. (laughs) Yeah, which is its own kind of help. uh, Yeah, completely. But Nico's never going to get to have that conversation. Yes, he is. You think so? I... Moving on. This is a, oh, the Sun and the Stars is the next book, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I didn't know if you knew the premise of Sun and the Star. I I can assume things. Yeah. It, it is as as far as I could tell from like the shop the shop display that I saw. It is like uh, Nico and his uh, checks notes roommate <laughs> uh, go going into Tartarus to get Bob. Okay, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. All right. Fuck! I well, need to think of an opposite that- character. Fuck you do. Yeah, uh, hey, I I know you said like fuck yeah, you should have been saying fuck you because I took the easy one. You did. Uh, you took the one that it's one of us had to do it. It had to be given to Nico for this book. Yeah. Uh I'll say I'll say Hecate. Hecate doesn't seem to like fuck with any dudes. She only seems to hang out with women. Yeah. <laughs> so like, you know, if she's only doing that, that that narrows her romantic options and you kind of have to assume that she's cool with that. Yeah, least set character number two goes to Hecate. <laughs> All right. Well, that's been House of Hades. It's been a lot of fun. It's yeah. been a good book. Uh, and it's been a good podcast. That's a, that's a cool, like, what, 14 episodes, I think? Yeah. It's, it's so long. I, I, longer than... This will be the most we've done on any book, right? 
Uh, I think it ties with Mark of Athena. I don't know, because we did a couple of, like, four chapters in this instead of six. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, I, I guess I'm not sure. Yeah. And I can't be bothered to count at the minute, so... Certainly not. <laughs> what I can be bothered to do is say, once again, check us out uh, tonight at the Moon Carnival. Uh, moonshot.mov. That'll be where you can find us all weekend. Also... Our intro and outro music is Super Mario Ocean by Space Pony. You can find that at OCRMX. Uh, our cover art is by Vera at Innsmouth underscore N on Twitter. We are hosted by that same Moonshot Network, moonshotpods.com. You're going to find a lot of good stuff there. Uh, hell yeah. What? You okay? You're going to find a lot of... <laughs> Fuck yeah, Moonshot, yay! <laughs> I, I'm continuing to say keep an eye out for June events. Mm-hmm. Interesting things happening in June. If you want to find us, you can go to twitter.com slash unwisegirls. We've got links to our uh, personals. You've got links to our Discord, our email. Updates go out once episodes come out, and we've got visual companions when needed. If you want to support us, you can tell a friend about us, uh, leave a five-star rating and review on your podcast of choice, or for a bit of monetary support, go to patreon.com slash unwisegirls, where for a dollar a month, you can get the Discord role of Camp Counselor. For $3 a month, you can get the Discord role of Friend of Bacchus, as well as all of our bonus content. Yep, yeah, uh, in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be covering uh, Rick Ryden's second detective novel, The Widower's Two-Step, on the bonus show. So uh, if that sounds interesting to you, uh, join up on the Patreon and keep an eye out for that. We'll be doing that for episode 100. Yeah, that'll be episode 100, and in the lead-up to that, we are going to be finishing Black Sails. Hell yeah. And for $5 a month, you can get the Discord role of Venus is Chosen, all of our bonus content, and a special thank you at the end of every episode. Speaking of which, this week, we'd like to thank I Love Sammy's Great, Danny, Tana, Bree, and Erica. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. And as we always say, at the end of every single episode... See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. See you next week, Camp Half-Blood. Bye. Bye. Moonshot band. Wacky dacky do, let's go to the moon. Ha <laughs> ha, moonshot. Have you packed your bag to the moon? That's right, the moonshot carnival is here. Oh, have you packed I'm your singing. bags? I'm ready to go to the moon. Ooh. All right. It's a stream. Content. It's a fundraiser for a good cause. Want to raise money for Trans Lifeline? It's a good cause. Come to the Moonshot Carnival and watch some great streamed content. Are you ready to go to the moon? Oh, I'm singing again. Go oh, to the moon. Neat. Whoa, to the moon. All right. Whoa, the moon. Yeah, Moonshot. The same music, huh?